Hello, folks. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kind for being part of the show. We are going to have, as usual, a great show for you today. Have a little mark on my face. I scratched myself. When that, well, you know how that goes. Every so often, you get that little in here zit that messes with your 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 appearance. But hey, what can I say? What can I say? Anyhow, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Eric Hayes is in the house. Welcome aboard, Eric. Uh, Yvette Avery Herod is in the house, as well as is uh, Bruce Pollard. Bruce Pollard said that, yeah, the audio is working from what I see. Let me look at the, I'm going to go ahead and look at the, the mixer to make sure that it's actually mixing over. It's going over the line, folks. It's going over the line. I see it going over the line. So it should be, should be working. Anyhow, anyway, folks, how are everybody doing? Hey, wait a minute. Bruce, Meredith, my girl, Bruce's daughter, my daughter's great friend, had baby number two. Congratulations, Senor Bruce Pollard, who is a granddaddy for the second time. I'm so proud of, I'm so proud of Meredita. That's what I used to call her when she comes over to the house and all that good stuff. Meredita, tell Meredita I said, very proud of her. Anyhow, as well, Galina Levitt. I think that is Michael Rudnan in the house. Michael Rudnan, how are you doing, my dear brother? Our great researcher on this channel. And as well, let's see. <laughs> he said he's on his, his aunt's laptop, and that's why it is called Galina Levitt. Anyhow, we got a great show for you today. I have a long interview, so I'm not going to start with a whole lot of talking right now. I want to get right into it. This is a, a conservative ex-cop that I interviewed several, a few years ago. And the article that I wrote about him in uh, Daily Coast apparently got him into a little bit of hot water. And he's been back and forth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, apparently, well, I'll let you listen to the interview. And then we'll take it on the other side. But as usual, uh, in preparing for the show and trying to get it all together, the interview has yet to be cued. So as I am making little talk with you all and talking that, okay, Bruce says, actually, it's baby number one. Wife had the other. Oh, so they alternated. Got you, got you, got you, got you. Okay, great, great, great. Let's go ahead and get that interview queued up because it's. It, I want to go ahead and get that started. And it's going to start right this minute. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. Today, I'm honored once again to speak to Dr. Will Morovitz. He's an adjunct professor of political science at Texas State University. For three years, he was a police officer for the city of San Marcos, Texas, having graduated top cadet from the basic training academy of the University of Texas at Austin, my alma mater. He holds a Master of Arts in Political Science from Texas State University and a PhD in Public Policy and Administration from Walden University. He is a native of Uvalde, Texas. Senor Moravitz, welcome to Politics and Right once again. How are you doing today? Very well, sir. Thank you for having me again. Well, absolutely. Um, I think the last time you were on, we were discussing, I don't remember if we were discussing gun controls or or what, but uh, you came from the conservative point of view. And of course, I, I come from a very progressive point of view, but one of the things that we always stressed and, and, and the mutual respect comes from that we believe everyone has a right to their, their opinion, have a right to their speech, and one should not be penalized on either side or on any side for what they believe in. Uh, you contacted me recently and said, guess what, Egberto? 
I think we have something to talk about. Cancel has hit me. Tell me your story. Well, if you, when we had our first conversation on, on your show, uh, I was promoting uh, my book that came out last February, the, the Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. And, that, and we had a lot of discussions about that. And if you remember at the end of our conversation, I mentioned to you that oftentimes I show in my classes, when, I, when we talk about this issue, I show the old uh, Chris Rock video, How Not to Get to Ass Beat by Police from the old Chris Rock show that he had. I don't know how many years ago it's been now. It's been a while. Uh, and I show that because for a couple reasons, he's funny, right? Laughter. I think people, people remember things better when they're laughing. Um, and there's, even though it is funny and at the end it gets a little bit comical uh, for those, you know, that have seen it, you know, I'm talking about where it starts talking about, you know, a mad, angry woman, you know, don't, don't drive with a mad, angry woman because you never know what she'll say when you get pulled over. Uh, but leading up to that, there's some really good tips, you know, be polite, respectful, hands on the wheel, don't, you know, just, just different things. And I show it to him just in, in the sense for the classroom to kind of laugh, but also to kind of bring down the, um, the level of seriousness, you know, kind of add some, uh, levity to the situation. But I, I do think it's a good video for them to kind of understand. And you wrote about that, I think, in the, was it the Daily Coast? I think right. We're, we're, and somebody in my former employer, St. Phillips College, uh, somebody, some employee, I'm not sure if they were an administration or what, but an employee brought it to the attention of the college that I was showing this video and also that I was calling myself professor uh, with a little p uh, and that I don't have that rank. Um, and I try to explain to them, I, I got called into a meeting with HR and, and uh, one of the vice presidents about your article. And for about a week there, I wasn't sure if they were going to renew my contract because they have to let you know by the end of March. And this was middle of March when this happened uh, last year. And they did. And basically what they told me uh, is make sure you don't put yourself off as a professor. I'm an instructor. So even though I have a PhD and, and I explained to them that Texas State, where I, I've worked since 2018, everybody gets called professor and in, in common language. Right. There, you don't make that distinction. Uh, you do in rank. Uh, for those who are not aren't sure, uh, aren't familiar with how the college system works, you have instructor assistant professor, associate professor, and full professor. And that's just your rank. But everybody, you know, the, the, the students, you just say, hey, professor, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but the main issue was that I was showing this video in class. Um, and they kind of were saying, you know, uh, did you get permission to show it? Is this something appropriate? And I was like, and my response was, well, these are college students. Black Lives Matter, police brutality, are in the curriculum that this college chose for my class or approved rather, I should say that the professors chose the curriculum, but it's approved by the college. And so, so yeah, I think it is appropriate and what have you. And so they basically left it as just be careful what you teach. Um, and then doing my rounds with the, you know, the promotion of the book, uh, I got to know the national uh, this national spokeswoman for the National Police Association. And in August, um, they had a booth at CPAC in Dallas. CPAC, of course, is a conservative political action conference. 
And they had a booth there and they invited me to sit with them at the booth um, and and sell my book and just kind of help them promote the National Police Association, and which is, you know, a nonprofit to just kind of help out, uh, you know, police in various uh, types of charitable ways and promoting good policing and, and, and things like that. And I jumped at the opportunity. I thought it'd be a great experience. I'd, I'd never been to CPAC, never thought I would go. I just, you know, wanted to go and, and, and visit. And in the course of those two or three days that I was there, I took a couple of pictures of people. Um, one that I was very proud of, I met uh, Steve Williford, who those that follow mass shootings may remember he was the Sutherland Springs man who stopped the shooting at, at the church in Sutherland Springs where 26 uh, people were murdered. And I put him up on my Facebook, right? Uh, and one of my colleagues is a friend of mine on Facebook and she saw it. Uh, and when I went to work a few days later, uh, another employee said, Hey, be careful around this person because this is what she texted me about you. And she showed it to me. And she was basically saying that I needed to be pushed out of the college because my views threaten democracy, that CPAC is a racist organization that promotes you know, racial purity and, and, and anti-democratic views. Um, and, and the irony, of course, here, you know, one of the things that text message, uh, and I was able to take pictures of these, uh, you know, mentioned that Victor Orban spoke at CPAC and he did. And the, the, the irony is I didn't know who this person was. I mean, I know now he's the president or prime minister or something Hungary, yeah. but I, 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 I had no idea or Turkey, Hungary, you know, I had no idea who he was. But because I, I attended as a as an as a guest, I kind of got associated with him in that particular uh, context. So I, I took those pictures and I kind of put them on my back pocket just in case something ever came up. And then a few months pass. I'm getting again during this time. I'm getting excellent evaluations of my teaching. You know, uh, all, all that kind of good stuff from from my mentor and from my department chair. And then in February, I get called in for a meeting. Um, with HR and a vice president. Uh, and they tell me right away, there's been a complaint about you from a student. We don't know what the complaint is, but you're going to be put on paid administrative leave. And uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, can you tell me more? I was like, no, it should, the, the investigation should take about two weeks. Uh, you're going to get paid. You will, you'll need to turn in your badge and your keys. And I was like, okay, um, when am I going to find out what the complaint is? I said, probably by the end of the week or on Monday. And I said, okay. Um, and I was told, I was like, okay, well, I need to go get some stuff from my office and, and I'll bring the, I'll bring the badge down to you because I didn't have the, my, my ID badge on me at the time. And they said, okay, well, I, I forget the sergeant's name, but the, the sergeant in the police department there for St. Phillips College escorted me. And we're walking out of the room and I, I stop and I turn to him and I say, excuse me, sir, is this really necessary? I said, I, you know, I said, I'm a former police officer. I'm not going to cause any problems. I'm just going to run up to my office, grab my bag and and leave. And he said, well, I'll follow you at a distance. And I said, OK, that's that's cool with me. Um, you know, is, and so I, I go upstairs to my office and it's locked. And so I unlock it. I get in there and I'm I'm gathering my things real quick. And then all of a sudden the door opens and it's the police officer who had unlocked with the master key to unlock my door. And I was kind of shocked because he said, you know, he's going to follow at a distance. And then he follows me out very close by. And I kind of 
you know, under my breath was like so much for following at a distance because my, it, it was embarrassing, you know, because everybody in my department's kind of looking around like, why, why are they escorting rabbits out, you know, with the police officer? So I leave and I find out the complaint is from a student uh, in, in one of my small classes. It was for political science majors. And she, she was claiming that I had made uh, very discriminatory and, and disparaging marks against the LGBTQ community, particular transgender people. Uh, and then in, in a, a subsequent um, conversation that I'd actually called or, or said that um, this is why we need police brutality. And if you remember from our conversation, the last thing I would go out and say is, yeah, we need more police brutality. Um, And so this was, again, the February 9th is when it started. So very early in February, uh, March 27th, I still had been on paid leave. So the two weeks turned into over a month. Uh, I had not been questioned yet by investigators. And I was notified that my contract would not be renewed and that I would stay on paid leave through the rest of the semester. Now, mind you, I had a an extra class that was going to start at the eight-week mark that I didn't get paid for because I didn't start it. So that was about $3,400 right off the bat that I was losing. I had five classes scheduled for the summer. That's another t- over 20000 So right off the bat, I'm like, that's $24,000 I've lost just like that. And... They finally did uh, interview me, um, and I explained to them that none of this was true. Uh, I, I had simply given the the alternative viewpoint to gender affirming care, right? Because, like, like we mentioned, you know, I, I I may be conservative, but I don't want my students to only hear the conservative viewpoint. I want to hear both, and so we talked about. In, in the context of, of how culture is changing with the transgender movement. Cause you just, you remember uh, 10 years ago, nobody talked like this, you know, with the pronouns and things. It was just, it was very new. Uh, you know, I, it really started after Obergefell versus Hodges when, when the same sex marriage case became nationalized, uh, where, where all states had to recognize same sex marriage is when it really kind of hit fast forward on, on the trans movement. And I was just saying that, you know, there's people who question whether or not biological males who have transitioned should compete in sports against biological women. I was like, there are people who have gone through the surgery and have now regretted it. And I was just pointing those things out. And I even mentioned, I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm just saying, and, and, um, but it, it didn't matter. Um, since the non-renewal, um, I have, uh, discovered I have three affidavits from students in the class, one a conservative, one a libertarian, black male, by the way. Um, and, I, and that was, you know, because of the, the whole uh, police brutality uh, accusation. And then one of them, a liberal student. And all three of them say that she's lying and that I, I was very respectful in class and, and just gave both sides of the issue. So I have that signed, notarized proof. One of these three individuals was interviewed by investigators at the college. So they knew back in February that the claims were false, but they still went ahead and got rid of me. Um, I do have a council, um, the Academic Freedom Alliance, uh, an organization of of professors and other individuals in higher ed from all different, uh, you know, uh, political ideological backgrounds. 
uh, are financing this lawyer. It's uh, Michael Allen of the Allen Harris Law Firm um, in New England. And we, we've been trying to do mediation. Um, that has not been very successful. Um, so we are uh, preparing a, a lawsuit for violation of, of protected speech and civil rights. Um, can't really speak much more on that because, you know, legal, uh, uh, you know, uh, restrictions. But you'll, you'll actually, uh, I think, get a kick out of this next part. Um, so <laughs> we had appealed the decision. And then once they were like, okay, they're, they're, they might be filing a lawsuit. Their attorney said, okay, we're going to put the appeal on hold. And we're going to try to settle this outside of court. Um, and this was in, in late April, early May that we started to try to do this mediation. And they kind of jerked me around left and right. But one of the things they made very clear to my attorney was reinstatement was not going to be an option. So at that point, I decided, okay, well, if, if reinstatement is not an option, I might as well go clean out my office. You know, and so uh, a, a nice lady from HR down at the district office, um, because for those of you not familiar with San Antonio, Alamo Colleges is five community colleges and they're run by the same district office. And I was going to meet at my office in St. Philip's College at 1130 on a, on a Wednesday, two, two weeks ago, yesterday, two weeks ago, yesterday. And I was going to meet with a lady from HR and I was going to pack up my things and, and go. On my way down there, there was a concern, um, uh, some kind of miscommunication about the process. And she's saying, you know, they're going to have to pack up your stuff and take it to the district office. And I said, you know, I don't really want them to do that. I don't know who's going to be packing my things. It's my belongings. I'd like to do it myself. I don't give consent. You know, I'm already on my way and what have you. I had business in the area beforehand. So I get down to uh, the parking lot and I text the HR lady and I say, hey, I'm here. Is there any way I can get my stuff? I just want to move on with my life and get my things. And I live 30 miles from the college. So I didn't want to have to drive another 60 miles round trip when I'm already there. So she's like, well, let me get a hold of the VP and just, just hang tight. We'll try to get this situated. And so I'm sitting there talking to a friend of mine who's a faculty member. And then the HR lady calls me back and says, Hey, I'm still trying to get a hold of the VP. Just hang tight. See if there's a police officer or somebody that might be able to let you in the room. And I was like, okay, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll wait around for a few minutes and then I will, uh, you know, I'm thinking of, if I don't hear from you, I'll leave. So I go upstairs with my friend who's a faculty member and there's four police officers waiting for me. And three of them surround me, one of them out in the hallway. And they're, they're basically saying, you have no right to be here. You need to, be, you need to leave campus. And I try to explain them again. One of them was a sergeant again. And I reminded him, you know, I'm an ex cop. This is during police week, though. I'm actually wearing a police hat, uh, at the time. It's a 9 11 hat from NYPD for the 23 officers killed. And I tell him, I was like, look, you have no legal authority to remove me from a public space and a public building, especially when I'm here at the, uh, invitation of HR and, a colleague or now, you know, a former colleague. And we kind of go back and forth and they're saying, no, sir. And I was like, you know, you have no right to my property. I'm here to get my stuff. I'm waiting on a call from HR. And it was just a back and forth. And eventually they, they, uh, one of the vice presidents did arrive and say, you're not getting your things and you're going to have to go down. So they, they forced me back off campus and I had to go pick them up, you know, 
down the road of office. Yeah. miles and, and and whatever. And they had they watched me the whole time. And and just like I expected, they didn't pack up everything. So I had to get them to mail me some more stuff later and you know, whatever. It just seemed like overkill. And and my my lawyer actually commented was like, Well, at least now you know why some people think cops are dicks. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I get it, they're just doing their job, but it was kind of like you No, know, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, I want to interject right there. As I'm listening to you, right? Uh, you're a you're a former police officer, and and by the way, actually, you know what? I want to wait for t- to end this story before I go further. So finish telling me uh, the conclusion. So let let's go and then I'll. Ask. Well, so I went and I I met with a lady at HR down at, at very nice lady, and she was apologetic for all the confusion. I said, "What was the reasoning for the police to show up? Like I'm some kind of, you know." threat or something and um she's like i don't know it was miscommunication whatever and so she was very very nice very helpful and got my stuff and i left and uh you know now we're we we thought we were we had a mediation date that didn't work out um and uh you know some other things happened back and forth between the attorney and my attorney that i don't want to get into but it got to the point now where we're we're kind of putting a hold on the mediation thing and and you know, probably uh, going to be looking at filing an, uh, an official complaint soon. Um, you know, but like I said, because of that, all the, the the rules about legality, I can't really discuss more details about that uh, just yet. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at now. I, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen with my future, my career. I don't know if I have to you know, what my prospects would be if I'm going to have to uproot my entire family and move somewhere to find a new job. Uh, Cause as you all know, there's not, there's not a lot. I mean, getting into higher ed is not the easiest thing in the world. There's just not a lot of jobs out there. And, you know, Alamo colleges makes up five of, I think 17 colleges and driving distance from where I am. Um, and then you look at a place like university of Texas, that's one of the top schools in the country. It's, very difficult to break in, uh, especially for someone like me who I got into higher ed um, in my late thirties. So I didn't, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of behind the the curve. I don't have like a, a long history at my age of articles I've written and things. This is my, my second career or third career, really, if you <clears throat> consider I taught um, at the high school level. But you're also so, an author. You're an also an author. Yeah. The, but, the book but, that, <laughs> the book that started all and is your article that got <laughs> my article got you i mean my article got you a notoriety brother but let let let, let yeah, me, it got me infamous at college so thank you that yeah <laughs> but let, but let, let but, me just say okay okay so that that's that's I, basically I, the story yeah this this is important first of all i want to ask you and i'm going to be straight up with the answer is there some kind of a thing with regards to demeanor or whatever that I'm missing here where uh, you always come across to me very circumspect, nice, good attitude, etc. Is there anything different how you came across in class when you were discussing transgender and all these issues, which we probably disagree on? Were you at least doing it from a from a from a respectful form? Or did you did you do it like some of the what I will call the wackos on the right? Because it is legitimate to have to say uh, in the transgender issue, I just don't understand guys who become women and are going to play sports and then be educated about it. That's that's that is something that we can discuss. But we have to open the door to have discussion. Were you somehow? Actually, the, the interesting thing is 
there were two occasions where the student said I made disparaging remarks. Both occasions were me answering a student question, a different student. So the first question, uh, you know, had to deal with a student. We, we were talking about uh, the different responses to, to COVID and how red states reacted differently than blue states about, you know, reopening and going back to school and things like that, right? And I mentioned a study and, and I, I can find it. I have to go find it again, but I, I've read it. It's, it's a study that shows that there's a correlation between being conservative and being uh, less risk averse. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're, you know, they're making the argument that when you look at, at jobs that have a high risk of injury or death, you know, like loggers, oil workers, military, police, fire, or whatever, that there's a, a disproportionate number of conservative minded or libertarian minded people in those right. professions. And so I was just making maybe there's something to be said that, it, that the red states being more conservative are more willing to risk the, the you know, COVID protocols. Right. And one student said, yeah, liberals tend to be more shy. And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> As I, we, so we talked about, you know, how, uh, whether it be the civil rights movement, whether it be the uh, gay pride movement, you know, this is the, the day one of gay pride month. Um, I just kind of use that as an example that, that these people, I don't, I would not consider them shy. They're very open about who they are and, and what they do. And the mm-hmm. student kind of brought up, um, the LGBTQ movement. And I just was making the comment that they're, they're very expressive about who they are. I said, you can look at a gay pride parade and, and see, um, that they are not ashamed of of who I'm they are. Sorry. They, I'm sorry, they, they shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. And and that's kind of like you know where where the conversation started. Another student said, "Well, it was a little bit older," and he he made the comment, "I don't understand all this language with the pronouns and stuff." Right? He was in his mid twenties, and I said, and I tried to explain to him kind of the progression and culture of how this has changed in the past eight to ten years. And when we got to talking about sports, I didn't even give my opinions. I was just telling people. There's a swimmer named Riley Gaines who tied Leah Thomas, the Penn State swimmer, who ended up becoming national champion. And Riley says that they took the trophy from her against Leah for the photo op, um, you know, and then now she's going around fighting back and whatever. And I said, and I mentioned, I just mentioned some groups and this particular student said, you are making a moral judgment. You're, you're, and I was like, no, I'm, this is my opinion. In fact, the the irony of all this, Egberto, is that what I was telling the class were things that I had learned from a colleague of mine who is a member of the community and was letting me read books um, from the perspective of TERFs, right? Transgender radical feminists. Uh, and and I it was like an opening eye-opening experience uh learning about the that you can go, I was told to go Google LGB drop the T. Right. And you've got on Twitter, the gays against groomers, Twitter page, and you've got fist and wolf, which are lesbian feminist movements that are against the transgender kind of part of LGBT. And I was basically just trying to educate them that there are these other views out there and they weren't even necessarily my views. Right. I was just basically repeating things that I'd been reading with my colleague. Um, so no, it definitely was not something that I was like, oh, LGBT bad or anything like that. I mean, I have two uh, former students of mine from high school that I love dearly that are female to male transitioners, you know, and I never tr- treated them any differently. And and yeah, and I have, like I said, I have three affidavits from students 
backing up what I just told you that I was never demeaning to anybody and very respectful right. and all that. I, I, I get that. And, and again, the, the thing about it is I don't want anybody who talks to me catering, uh, catering, whatever they're saying, because they know that I'm this progressive guy. I don't believe in cancel culture. I don't believe in any of that. I believe in, I, I can stand up on, when I say I am talking about, I think the liberal movement, the progressive movement can stand up on what they believe in. And you as a conservative have to stand up on what you believe in. And then we can sit down and talk and argue points, et cetera. The reason I really wanted you on as well is when you when you sent me that email and said you think you've been, you know, that, you know, you have been unjustly uh, relieved for something that you didn't do. I think just I, I am not in agreement with that. If you make a, if you have a conservative idea that you put out to your students, as long as you're not judging your student and grading them based on the things that you're saying, oh, there's absolutely not. no reason for them to to get rid of you for your job. Just like there is no reason for, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tease you here, your buddy DeSantis to do what he is doing in Florida as far as uh, penalizing teachers as they are in Florida for teaching black issues, gay issues, and all these other things. I believe in the free expression of ideas. And I hope that in this happening to you as well, you see the merit in all of us being able to be free to express these things. Yeah, I think I think especially at the collegiate level, you know, you should be challenged when you go to college. Yes. Um, and and you should. I mean, I was. I remember as a freshman sitting in in class in the in the you know 1996 and having my small little world that, that growing up in Uvalde and, and realizing that there's a whole bunch of different perspectives out there from what I experienced. And that that's how you grow and how you get better. But, and I do try the best I can to present the progressive, the conservative and the moderate uh, in discussions. And one of the things I tell my students at the beginning of every class is I will argue against you. Sometimes, even if I agree with you, Right. Just to get you to think if if other students are not jumping in, because I want the students to debate and I can facilitate. But sometimes, you know, especially because most of the classes I teach are a lot of freshmen and they're big classes like at Texas State. Sometimes kids, you know, they're they're still a little nervous about speaking out in a group of 100 and some people and, and whatever. So sometimes I have to jump in and I just tell them, I was like, look, most students your age lean left anyway. So I am going to just naturally probably argue the conservative side more often. But I have, you know, one of my very conservative vocal students, uh, one that actually gave the affidavit to me, I've, I've, you know, spanked him down a couple times in class for arguments, uh, because I wanted him to think about from a different perspective. And that's why I read stuff by you and and I read the salon, you know, salon and box and, you know, different things, because I don't want to just I want to be able to 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 offer my students as much context and nuance as possible. Um, that's why I disagree with some of my conservative friends that are like, you know, CRT shouldn't be taught in college. It's a, you know, and I was like, well, why not? It's it's a legitimate critical theory is a legitimate thing. And if if you're gonna say I don't want my kids learning about the 1619 project or or you know, whatever, then how can you go around and you know, because that's indoctrination, then how can you say that you know, if I get up there and all I did was teach the conservative view, how is that not indoctrination? Exactly. Right? You've got to be able to, to to give as much sides and, and, and things like that. And so I'm, I'm very much um, in agreement with you there. 
Well, let me tell you this. And like I said, I, I want to, before, before we close out, um, I, I, there's another thing that you said that um, really touched me. And that is how you felt when you were going to pick up your things and how the other, you're a cop or you're a former cop and how you felt with that guy behind you, how you felt with four cops surrounding you, how you felt with not uh, looking through these other cops, not seeing through your eyes, these other cops, not even giving you the time of day to express yourself. Do you see in a lot of ways how and, and, and you know, how those who are or are, 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 um, in the presence of cops, how they actually feel and why they act the way they do many times. And you're a white guy and you have to admit that to, you're a white guy. Yeah. And, and, and I, 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 I interestingly enough, three of the four cops were minorities. <laughs> Oh, well, maybe they, they, they were slapping. No, I'm kidding. Actually, I, let me let me just I, tell you something about the cops. No, um, let me, wait, wait, hold on. Hold, hold on Bill. I want to say something. I want to say something first. And as much as these were minority cops, I don't distinguish white cops from black cops because it's an institution. As you've been there and you you pretty much know that. Now, when it comes to if a cop makes a mistake, you know who's going to go down first. And if you look at the stats, you know who will go down first. But you felt that. From you felt that, and I'm saying, think about those other people who lived that. And again, you were a cop, so well, and because I was a cop, I, I I was able to. I wasn't angry at them. I wasn't, you know, I I didn't lose my cool because I knew, I knew how far I could probably push the issue before right. bad things happen. <laughs> yes, um, yes. And, and again, I don't blame. Only two of the four actually spoke to me. The other two were kind of in the, you know, just there, I guess. Um, and my my only problem is I get they were just doing their job. The, the vice president was saying he's not to be here. But I could definitely see the wheels turning when I told the sergeant, show me the legal power you have to remove me. And HR invited me down here because then he got on the phone and was like, OK, wait a minute. And that was good because sometimes, you know, sometimes when you see these viral videos when they challenge police, sometimes right. the cops get all pissed off and they didn't. They they were very professional. Um, but I, I kind of knew from my experience how far I could push the envelope. And I wasn't being disrespectful. I was being a little bit, you know, firm. But, you know, I wasn't I was being professional because as you'll see, I saw a video. Same guy did it um, in two different public buildings recently. He went in. And was filming people in a, in a government building and the late, you know, the people right. like, no, you can't film in here, whatever. And the cop showed up and the first cop was like, give me that camera. You can't be in here, whatever. And he was saying, no, I can't. He was signing the law. He did it in another building and the cop knew the law and told, told the employee, sorry, it's a public play. I can't stop him from filming. He's not breaking the law. There's nothing I can do, you know? And, and I think that that's kind of a learning point that, you know, for a lot of cops in that situation is, you know, be sure that you have the authority to do what you're doing and, and don't yeah. let your personal feelings of somebody, you know, cloud your judgment. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I definitely was aware of that. That's why I kind of felt like, hey, I've kind of been treating like a criminal when I wasn't doing anything wrong. You know, yeah, for right. sure. So, I mean, and, and I think I think that's a, and, and look, I, I hope, uh, you know, first of all, I'm glad there, there are others that are going to see this quite a few that are going to see this video and listen to the podcast. And, and listen to your experience. 
But I also hope that uh, that particular part of this experience that you had, I hope you can write about it. I'm going to have this out there as well, because I think it's not only a learning experience for the people who the police are going to be trying to engage, but also for police officers coming from another police officer and how you felt when you were surrounded by them, you know, but anyway, give me a closer uh, because we kind of went a little bit over, but I always like talking to you. So give me a quick closer. Well, I just would say for those of you listening out there that if we want our education system to be a a top-notch education system, if we want the country to be able to, uh, move forward and get along and, 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 and actually have progress. We need to be able to sit down and have these discussions honestly and openly and not silence views. Uh, I believe this country is a marketplace of ideas. And if you're not going to allow certain ideas into the marketplace, um, you know, that censorship, the, the way to defeat bad ideas is with better ideas. And I think that's what we should move forward to at all levels of, of, of education, but especially in, in higher ed. Dr. Will Moravitz, thank you so kindly for spending some time here at Politics Done Right. And uh, I wish you well. And uh, like I said, I wish you well. They need to give you your job back. Well, I appreciate you having me on to, to tell my story, Egberto. I really do. We To uh, William. Um, anyhow, I have another important video as far as the debt ceiling is concerned that I want to play and it's it's not too long I'm going to play that and then I'll kind of go through some of the messages there but I before I play that I, I do want to address Mike Cisak sexuality and your gender are not the same thing and that is also scientific I I spoke to my daughter about that as far as uh, not only the gender issue, but the sexuality issue, etc. They are not the same thing. If you took biology and that, and you learned that, then there's one important thing. Uh, that person who taught you that should be relieved of duty because there's a lot that that's been learned over the last several decades. Anyhow, let's go ahead and play the last video of the day, very important one. Check this out, my brothers and sisters. Steve Radner, there's nothing like charts. Steve Radner comes out and started to detail exactly what happened in the debt ceiling agreement. And it turns out that after looking at the details, uh, President Biden did even much better than we all thought. And that's important, but he didn't do much better because what was there was all that great. What he did better for is because again, the Republican had no answers. And the truth of the matter is anything they would have that would have been left in their uh, in their budget plan would have not only hurt uh, the, the Democrats, but it would have hurt the Republicans even worse because their people are more dependent on these particular uh, provisions than Democrats are, to put it bluntly. But anyhow, the reason they had to walk away in the long run, it's because the fact that they had nothing to offer. They are performative and they're not really policy wonks that actually go in there and get something done. Check this out from Steve Ratner and then we'll take it on the other side. Steve Ratner with his charge. Steve, uh, let's dig into some of the details of this deal. We've talked a lot about the politics. 
Who got the better of this one? There were more Republicans who voted against this, against the thing their own speaker had negotiated than there were Democrats. And it is all, I think, an indication that, in fact, the White House did get the better of the deal. They're not taking a victory lap at the moment because they don't want to upset uh, what looks like a pretty positive course in the Senate. But you'll, I think you'll see them perhaps do that at some point because they deserve it. And we can take a look at some of the provisions. Ed mentioned a few of the things, but this is a comparison between the two bills. So this is the House GOP bill that they passed. This is what they said that they were prepared to have go into law. And this is the deal that ultimately emerged. They wanted to cut domestic spending, non-defense spending to $555 billion. It was seven. It would have been 740. It was 744 billion in the current fiscal year. It ended up at 704. Um, Ed mentioned these 10 year caps. This is really important. They wanted to cap this thing for 10 years. They only got two. And so if the Democrats were to be back in power in two years, they can undo as much of this as they want to. He mentioned the IRS clawback. They wanted 80 billion. They got maybe not even 21 billion. I won't get into the weeds on that, but that number could be smaller. And the irony here is that the IRS actually more money, the IRS actually reduces the deficit because then they can collect more from the tax evaders and tax avoiders out there. But nonetheless, uh, most of this was preserved. The Republicans wanted a very broad work requirement. They wanted basically everybody receiving public assistance other than Social Security to be working. And they got a tiny fraction of that. Uh, on the student loan situation where, you know, there has been this moratorium, the Republicans wanted every penny of that money paid back. They're not getting any of that. All they're getting is that the freeze that's in existence on student lo loan repayments would end, which is going to anyway. And it would restrict the ability to put in another moratorium, which nobody wants to do anyway. So essentially, there's no difference on the, on student loans for what is going would have happened anyway. Um, no change on taxes on either side. No increases in the loopholes closed. We can discuss whether that's the best idea, but that's where they came out. And then importantly, the Republicans wanted to repeal all of the green energy tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act. And they got zero on that provision. What were the spending cuts really like as you look inside this legislation? Sure. Let's take a look at that. So as I said before, we can look at the fiscal 2024. That's the next year of non-defense discretionary. That's where all the action was. That's what was on the table. Nothing else was even on the table really to be changed. And so the president in his budget proposed a bit over $800 billion. As I said before, this is the 2023 amount. This is 744 billion. It, uh, the, the, the Republicans wanted it down at this 550 level that we talked about and did it up here. About 40 billion, as I said, less than what we are going to spend anyway. And then a bit less than, but 110 billion less than by, uh, the Biden uh, proposal, 145 billion more than the Republican proposal. So we didn't end up in the middle. We ended up on the Biden side of the ledger. And then this one is really important. So as I mentioned a minute ago, the Republicans wanted a lot of these. This is SNAP. This is our food stamp program. The Republicans wanted a lot of these people out there working and a very broad work requirement. They also wanted a work requirement on what we colloquially call the welfare program. They got absolutely zero on welfare. On food stamps, all they got was that people between 50 and 54 would have a work requirement, but they exempted veterans. They exempted people with housing problems from all of this. And so there are some numbers coming out suggesting that actually 
there may be fewer people working or at least required to work under this than what we have now. With, 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 with us being concerned about the debt, about $31 trillion debt, which Donald Trump's contributed to more than anybody in American history. Um, how does this deal work for us? Well, look, it's a start. It does reduce the debt and deficit over uh, uh, over the long term. But let's just take a look at what some of the history that you referred to, Joe. And I think you'll see what the magnitude of the problem is. So this is this is our history of revenues and expenses uh, on a national basis. Uh, and all this stuff in the middle is deficit, which becomes debt. If you go back to the late 90s, remember that under the Clinton, in the Clinton years, we actually had a surplus for a few years. And then we got into the, the financial crisis and it all ballooned. Then we started working it down, working it down. And then Trump shows up right here. And since Trump showed up, what's happening? The deficit and the debt gets larger. Obviously, there was COVID. But even before there was COVID, you had the Trump tax cuts which were supposed to pay for themselves. And instead, you can see revenues going down here as a percentage of GDP. On the spending side, for all the brave talk, spending actually started to go up even before the COVID spike. And so all this pink stuff between these two lines, all this pink stuff are deficits and debt that Trump added to our problem. Under Biden, you can see outlays starting to come down, revenue starting to go up. We're starting to get that deficit down. This will help, but it, but it is a big problem that in which Trump was a contributor, not a helper toward getting, uh, to, to a lower deficit picture. Um, but we shouldn't also forget, Joe. Steve Reiner point out something that is very interesting. We, he, like we've been preaching for quite some time, tax cuts don't pay for themselves. In fact, tax cuts negatively affect the economy in most cases that we've done thus far because we've given tax cuts when there should have been no reason to give them. Supply side doesn't work because if you want more act economic activity, you throw the money into the hands of people that are going to spend it and not people who may or may not invest it. And even if they invest it, they don't invest it in things that people really want. Again, the only democratic form in which to give tax cuts is to give tax cuts to the people who need the monies the most and would throw it right back into the economy. That in the aggregate is what should be done. As far as the debt ceiling debate, the debt ceiling it will only get reduced when we start taxing people appropriately. That, that we are overtaxed and all that kind of stuff, given the services that we provide, given the military that we have, etc. We are just not correctly taxed. Again, if you want a big, humongous military, if you want a state that gives all kinds of benefits to corporations, if you want all these things, great infrastructure, you have to pay for it. And that is the responsible thing to do. You can't get to, you cannot cut social programs as your method of balancing the budget. You must get the taxes to where they need to be, especially since most of the monies at, at the top was. That was not really earned, but that's for another day. Whoa, it seems like I'm going to be speed reading. So anyhow, folks, let's get busy. I'm going to start with uh, E2247 says, what does ex-cop professor talking now think of the current FBI practices? We didn't discuss that. Eric Hayes says, William has learned what is happening every day, no matter what he has proof of, and the college settings will keep that happening. Well, he's learning that what has happened to many of us can happen to him as well. And I we discussed that 
but I hope a lot of what he's experiencing himself now is a learning experience for what many others have gone through. All right, Daniel Lado says, transgender ideology is a force of evil. So sad America is firmly in the grip of this demon. Please tell me how transgender from one person affects you. How does it materially change your life? How does it do something to affect you other than you being obsessed with somebody else? Makes no sense. Uh, brother Rodden says, Eric Hayes, you have to see what kind of speech is censored in academia. You'll find that the majority of it fails under hate speech. That is true. Uh, also, hey, Daniel, you remember what I said about not uh, about straw manning your opposition? Yep, it's what you just did. Exactly right. Liberals uh, from Eric Hayes, liberals and close minded surrounds in what is supposed to be an open-minded period of a person's life in college. That's why we want to teach everything. Guys like DeSantis and others would like to remove that opportunity, not only in high school, but as you notice, he's just about changed the entire board of a university. That should scare everybody. Galina Levitt, which is a Rodden, says, cops are, yes, if you, are, if you give a man power, they'll show you their true nature in short order. Exactly. Uh, para ver, para ver, para ver qué más estoy aquí, qué más tengo aquí. Uh, Galina Levitt, Mike Cisak demonstrating a lack of understanding the difference between sexuality and gender. And he said that because uh, earlier Mike Cisak said, Galina Levitt, the problem with calling some biological science as hate speech shows the political left is trying to define words with their own definitions, a type of hate speech in itself. You're dreaming if you really believe that. Or beautiful Levitt, Avery Herod says, not quite. But continue to show your ignorance is a response to uh, to uh, Brother Ledo. Uh, let's see what else we have. Ga Galina Levitt, Michael Rodden says, when COVID was going full pandemic, red states cared more about their economies than they did their people. And if you take a look at the deaths that occurred in those states, you'd notice that it really afflicted the red states much more so than it did the blue states, even with New York getting the brunt of the initial wave before we ever knew what to do about uh, safeguarding ourselves from COVID. Uh, Rodden says transgender is women's sports is the one point of contention where conservatives may have a point, but LGBTQ issues uh, span much further than sports trophies, etc. I got that. I am, I am careful in the way I'm addressing that because again, I, th that's where Levitt and I, I'm not Levitt, that's where um, uh, Will and I said, Will, we have to explore it. That's the ex-cop that I said, that is something I think needs to be explored. You, you want to make sure nobody gets some sort of a competitive advantage, not based on, you know, based on something else is what I'm saying. Mike C-Sex says, I have empathy for those young people who are abused by leftists who confuse and push a gender ideology that leads to castration and mutilation with lifelong problems. It's, it's obvious that you have adapted, a, 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 that you've been fooled by the media that you follow. But, you know, at least you're here at Politics Done Right that some of the seeds we plant will be embedded in you to be released whenever fertilized and exposed to the right sunlight and uh, liquefaction or not uh, watering, watering. All right. Uh, let's see. Galina says, good interview. Egberto, thank you so much for putting this guy up. William Moravitz, thank you, E2247, for the kudos. Uh, also, we have McCarthy should be removed from Eric Hayes. Well, I don't re really care whether McCarthy is removed or stayed, but McCarthy did the only thing he could possibly do, and that is fail at negotiating because they had nothing to offer. And we have from our beautiful event, Avery Herod, good interview. Great to hear how others outside the community views things. Thank you very much for that, Yvette. Uh, para ver que más tengo aquí. The only downside to this outcome is the work requirements for SNAP benefits, 
which creates the very wasteful government that uh, Republicans used to stand against. There was one other bad thing, and that is the oil uh, pipeline, I think, that they are allowing to go through. But again, you know, uh, that's what a negotiation is. You couldn't give the guy absolutely nothing. He had to have something that he could take for his people to vote for. And also Manchin, the, the Democrat, is one of the guys who wanted that. Is it a pipeline or, or something like that? I don't recall exactly. All right, John Carter says, if they are not willing to talk about the massive defense spending, then they are not serious about our spending. Exactly right, exactly right, John, exactly right. Uh, para ver qué más tengo aquí. My red line has, all, has already been surpassed. Alexander Ocasio-Cortez said last week, I mean, where do we start? No clean debt ceiling, work requirements, cut to programs. I would never, never vote for that. And she didn't vote for it, but you know what? Good for her. I think if she, she said yesterday, if my vote is needed, let him come and ask me for my vote and I will provide the vote. And that she, but her vote was not needed and she voted against it. Uh, Rudnan says, Egberto, man, you're going to have a lot of comments to read today. And guess what? I am getting through it. Um, um, William Moravitz, PhD, tweet is instructive in its own right. I saw the, the tweet that I just clicked on it. I didn't quite understand what it was. It was about repealing the 14th Amendment uh, that Donald Trump wanted to do, which, again, I guess if you repeal it, you may take my citizenship away too, right? What can I say? All right. Uh, para ver, para ver, para ver que más estoy aquí. E2247, Egberto works subtly within the black prophetic tradition. We gain from his effort and work. Thank you so kindly, my dear brother, E2247. Eric Hayes says, Egberto Hidalgo spent $60 million on, on a tent for COVID, did not use it, waste it. It was there if it were needed. If she didn't put it there and it, and it need, was needed, we would have been in trouble. But you know what else she did? She asked everybody to stay home. Many folks were still going ahead and coming out. If, 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 if things had worked out, she would have had to use it. Very good investment. Absolutely very good investment. It's called planning. Everything isn't about efficiency. Something is about planning. Anyhow, let's go ahead and I need to go ahead and tell you guys to please support the program. I want to remind you, first of all, before we talk about supporting the program, before we talk about supporting the program, uh, Eric Hayes reminded me that I needed to remind everybody that this week is what, Eric? Let me hear it, Eric. Let me hear it. This week is Ask Egberto Anything. And lucky for our brother, Eric, who we love very much as well, although he gives us a hard time so often, but we love you, Eric. Uh, he reminded me that we have to remember this weekend is Ask Egberto Anything. And there is the link to sign up for Ask Egberto Anything. It's free, of course, but I want to talk to you guys. I want to see you guys. I want to hear you guys. I want to feel you guys. So please come on in at Ask Egberto Anything. It's at politicsdoneright.com slash Ask Egberto Anything. That's politicsdoneright.com. I'm sorry. Politicsdoneright.com slash Ask Egberto. Politicsdoneright.com slash Ask Egberto. Uh, please support our program. Uh, by the way, I am still, I still need support for our, our Chicago trip. Are you guys not going to help me out? Let's do that Chicago trip. I need some support. Please go to Polit... Uh, I have the link in there. It is mail, mailchi.mp slash politicsandright slash NN23 sponsor. And how, let, let me put that up on the screen because I would like my dear brothers and sisters to say, yes, we want to invest in helping you defray the cost of that trip to Netroots Nation 2023. And it's great stuff, man. All donors will be producers of the pro of every video. 
Every video will have your name on the scroll. It will show you as a supporter and producer of that video. Uh, everybody who donates, those people, the first 20 donors of $35 or more will get a copy of my book, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relative Friends and Neighbors, and you will get a bumper sticker. Likewise, a person who gives $100 or more will get an, a page on my site, an internet page on my site, and everything that the Lord tears get. Anybody who uh, goes ahead and gives $200 or more gets a what again? They get an embroidered uh, polo shirt that we make, you know, with the politics that write on it and everything else, the tears below get, meaning the book, every, everything else, as well as, you know, you're shown as a special donor to the program. So I ask you so kindly to consider becoming a sponsor of uh, our trip to Chicago, which is what, again, what are we doing in Chicago? We're going to be talking to politicians. We're going to be talking to activists. We're going to be talking to writers, journalists, everybody out there. I usually do anywhere between 35, 50 interviews, somewhere around there. And all of that's going to have your name on it as a supporter of independent media politics done right. So please consider supporting us. And of course, don't forget to support the program in a, a, a whatever form you can. It would be great if you could become a patron where you uh, give a, a coffee or two or three every, every month if you can. That's politicsandright.com slash patron, politicsandright.com slash patron. Or you can do it via PayPal as well, politicsandright.com slash PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. And if you want to know all the different forms in which you can support our program, please consider going to politicsdoneright.com slash support. politicsdoneright.com slash support. Gotta get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you guys know exactly how I do this. I am what again? What am I? I am out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.